The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Happy Friday, everyone. Happy Friday, Jeffrey. Good morning, all of you. This is Squawkbox, and these are your headlines. A second presidential meeting on the debt ceiling is reportedly postponed until early next week. Reports suggesting the Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen will sit down with Wall Street bankers also in coming days. Factory inflation continues to ease across the United States, with producer prices rising at their slowest rate since January 2021 moderating for the 10th straight month. Uh, The Bank of England hikes interest rates to the highest level in almost 15 years and ditches its forecast for a recession this year. Governor Andrew Bailey defends his approach on inflation to CNBC. We do expect quite a rapid now fall in inflation during the rest of this year, going into next year. Uh, and, And obviously we want to see that happen. Shares in PacWest plunge over 20% after the regional lender reveals an almost 10% drop in deposits in the first week of May, following reports that it's exploring strategic options. And Elon Musk claims he's found Twitter's new CEO, saying she, there's a hint there, will start in six weeks. Reports suggest a senior NBC Universal executive will take the reins. How are you? Oh, I'm absolutely shattered. <laughs> Me and the director are just broken this yes. morning. Yeah, this is to do with football. <laughs> yeah, well, we happen yeah. to support a medium-sized football club. West Ham. West Ham. Well, they're a very big club, but they yeah. just don't play like it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we had a, a European Cup tie semi-final first leg last night. Right. Which, kind of because of the way the game went, we both had to listen to the whole thing or watch the whole thing. Yes. It went okay. Okay. We're still in the tie. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> sounds, sounds like it was emotional, though. It was, emo- it was always emotional when you support a middle-sized big club called West Ham, I can assure you, who haven't won a piece of silverware since I was 10. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, uh, my anyway. night was calmer. but uh... Any, Anyway, so you're fresh as a daisy and I'm broken, so we'll see how it well, goes. Well, let's see how it goes. <laughs> a second debt ceiling meeting between President Biden and congressional leaders originally set for today has been postponed until early next week, according to NBC and CNBC sources. An NBC report claimed the delay is a positive move, saying, quote, meetings are progressing. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen also reportedly plans to hold talks with top Wall Street bankers in Washington early next week. Well, Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy continues to downplay the prospect of a breakthrough. The staff has met the last two days. We think it's productive for the staff to meet again. Um, I have not seen from there uh, a seriousness of the White House that they want a deal. It seems like they want to default more than they want a deal. Well, look, we talked, what did we talk, guys? Monday, Tuesday, we talked Wednesday about the oncoming inflation double whammy, which you can see, again, well done graphics team, very nice chart, actually, uh, that we were expecting uh, this week. And quite frankly, both the CPI and PPI uh, were pretty well behaved, weren't they? They kind of what you wanted. 
Uh, U.S. producer prices rose at their slowest pace since January 2021, growing 2.3% in April. The data marks the 10th straight monthly decline. Uh, slowing rate of input costs, along with weaker than forecast CPI, as I said earlier this week, that's providing perhaps further hope uh, to the Federal Reserve, maybe more to the bond market and equity market, uh, in its battle, of course, the, the Fed battle to clamp down on inflation. So U.S. markets have had a great... No, they haven't. They haven't had a great week on the back of this as well. Because, as I think you got the idea from the headlines with worries about the debt ceiling and growth concerns and recessionary concerns, uh, and the Bank of England still got an inflationary problem as well. Uh, plus, you've got real estate issues emerging left, right and centre. whack em all over in Sweden at the moment. So the markets, well, have been mixed. The Nasdaq, for instance, which has taken the lead from the... Federal Reserve and the CPI and the PPI and the Treasury market, and it's actually had a minor rally this week, up eight tenths of one percent. But elsewhere, it's been pretty hard work, actually. The S&P has been down so far, four sessions gone, of course, 0.14 percent, uh, and the Dow down 1.1 percent on the week. And a lot of that is to do with energy, because the uh, and I'll come to that in a few moments. Why don't I hold off on that? because energy's been under a bit of pressure this week. Let's have a look at the Treasuries and what we've seen on the back of, of this as well. Uh, and we can see pretty much confirmation in Treasury world that they're expecting some form of pivot in rates that is, uh, of course, Fed Fund futures are talking about maybe July, but certainly by the end of the year, uh, a lot lower than the range of five to five and a quarter that we're at now, possibly uh, as low as 4.25% is the indication we're seeing from the markets. But there you can see the uh, two-year note, 388, the 10-year note, 337, and a bit of change as well. Dollar crosses. Now, this is really interesting. Given the, in fact, it's all interesting, but given the fact that you think, OK, the Fed has got the signals it wanted from PPI and CPI this week, you'd think, actually, we'd have had a, quite a tough time for the dollar this week. No, we haven't. The dollar index has been up three of the last four sessions. The dollar index yesterday was up six-tenths of one percent. The dollar index for the week, and this is going to confuse some of the people out there, is up virtually one percent, 0.9 of one percent. So despite the fact that all those dovish signals came out, despite all the concerns about the US economy and the treasuries, the dollar has been winning this week. We'll do some work on that one with our guests later on as well. I want to move to commodities because it's not just about the United States. It's also about this. And the fact is, I watched with very much interest. You know, I, I'm still fascinated, even though it's, it's, it's not my realm so much anymore. I'm still fascinated uh, by what's going on in Brent and WTI, in the oil complex as well. And WTI yesterday was down 2.3%. Brent was down 1.9%. But I want to move to another commodity because I want to show you that if all is well in the world, you'd see Brent, WTI, iron ore and copper rallying. But you're not. So look, copper's mildly higher there but this is interesting so we're way above where we what have i got here i've got a year chart but we're down 12 percent over the last year yeah we're way above our lows from the middle of last year but this is where i want to look at from the right look look this is exciting we've got a reopening 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 what happened there so actually on the one year move we're down 12 percent in fact copper has got its lowest settle since late november Dr. Copper is very often, historically, a very good barometer of economic activity. Dr. Copper is unimpressive so far this year. Again, we need to do some work on that with our guests as well. So there is a lot going on. 
And one thing, Jeffrey, I know we've got to move on quite quickly, but, but, but very interesting, isn't it, that some yeah. of those indicators are not flashing red, but they're certainly flashing amber. And, and so many of our guests say, yeah, but we know about these things, so that's not what's going to be the problem for the market. The, right. the, the known knowns, the Rumsfeldian known knowns, it's the unknown unknowns that we really have to worry about. Right. Uh, and increasingly, um, I think it's interesting, if you watch credit availability in China, the March splurge seems to be fading here. And I wonder if we could track the, that mm. decline in credit availability and tightening conditions with what's going on in the copper market. But we'll come back to this. Yeah. I know we've got to push on because we've got to get you to uh, Niigata. US Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen's start warnings dominated discussions at the G7 finance ministers meeting on day one in Japan, saying a US default would be catastrophic with global ramifications. Martin is in Nagata with more. Hey, good morning, guys. You know, reaction to this whole U.S. debt ceiling crisis issue here at the G7 uh, from the European finance leaders we've talked to here uh, seems to be uh, pretty uniform and also very diplomatic. The people we've spoken to have been saying we share the U.S.'s concerns. We stand by our friend, uh, the U.S. Uh, and, of course, uh, we hope that uh, at the end of the day, uh, reasonable, rational and responsible views and decisions will be made. In other words, they'll come to even if it is at the 11th hour or the last second decision to either raise the debt ceiling or extend it at the very least, kick the can down the road, uh, in other words. What has been left unsaid, though, by these very same people we've talked to, and I'm sure a lot of the other leaders, finance leaders here uh, as well, is that, look, uh, they know the U.S., uh, this crisis is of the U.S.'s own making. It is their problem and their problem alone to solve. There's really not that much that the uh, G7 can do uh, to help, but, uh, you know, by God, uh, at this time, uh, uh, just this is not the time to, to drop the ball. So uh, certainly don't do that because the consequences, of course, as Janet Yellen uh, said herself yesterday here at this meeting, would be catastrophic. Obviously, a huge uh, volatility eruptions in financial uh, markets. Uh, yields would spike. I, I don't need to, to go on there. Now, uh, we spoke to uh, one of the uh, European finance leaders uh, just recently, a couple hours ago, in fact, Paolo Gentiloni, this morning. Uh, he is uh, the uh, European Commission, uh, uh, the head of the European Commission for the Economy. And he talked about the situation in the European continent itself, growth prospects, inflation, and also financial stability. Take a listen. We have very strong core inflation still in Europe. At the same time, we were uh, concerned about the possibility to have a recession in the European economy. This is not the case. And it, it has not been the case in the first quarter. We had a moderate growth. I will present next Monday our economic forecast for the European Union and we will have moderate growth, not recession. This, I think, is good news uh, and we, we have to combine monetary policy and fiscal policy to bring down inflation without killing growth. Paolo Gentiloni, they're the European Commissioner for Economy. So this fight uh, between rates and inflation continues and uh, nowhere uh, more conspicuous than, uh, conspicuously than where you are. Uh, I know you've been talking about that uh, decision by the BOE to raise rates overnight to 4.5%, which caught at least some people uh, by surprise. Uh, to that end, of course, we're looking ahead to uh, GDP numbers uh, set to drop out of the UK in about an hour's time, if I'm not mistaken. And right after that, or shortly after that, rather, we'll be sitting down 
now to talking to the Chancellor of the Exchequer, Jeremy Hunt, for his take on this whole fight, ongoing fight against inflation and rates. Back to you guys. Uh, Martin, we're absolutely loving your coverage. Thank you very much indeed today, sir, and for everything you've been doing this week. Uh, and as Martin just said, the... Uh, the meeting has some really big hitters, including Klaus Knott, uh, will be joining Martin, president of the Netherlands Central Bank. And he also just mentioned the UK Chancellor of the Exchequer, 10 Central European time, Jeremy Hunt will be joining us out of Nigata. Geoffrey. Uh, the Bank of England has raised interest rates by 25 basis points, as widely expected, to 4.5% and warned of more to come as it revised its short-term inflation forecast significantly higher. A 7-2 to two majority on the Central Bank's Monetary Policy Committee voted to take the country's borrowing cost to its highest level in almost 15 years and vowed to stay the course with the Central Bank predicting inflation will not hit its 2% target until 2025. Despite raising rates for the 12th consecutive time, Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey said he does not expect the UK to go into a recession. Speaking with Jamana after the decision, Bailey explained why the committee upgraded the country's growth forecasts despite persistent inflation. We have um, upgraded our growth forecast. I mean, I, I would draw a distinction between change and levels here. I mean, change, yes, it's, 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 it's one, I think, maybe the biggest upgrade we've ever done. The level is still quite low, though. I mean, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. The reasons for the upgrade, lower energy prices feeding through. Um, that's, that's very helpful. Uh, fiscal policy, we've obviously incorporated the, the budget um, since we last did a forecast, and that is providing more support. And the global economy is providing more support. I think, you know, mm -hmm. China, for instance, I would be a point to there. The, the end of the zero COVID policy was less, I think, disruptive than yeah, many of us feared it might be. And I think fourth and finally, I would say the UK economy is more resilient. Employment has been more resilient than we feared and thought it would be. So that's good. Andrew Bailey there. Um, look, uh, what is the Bank of England for? <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it, we know what's going on with the interest rate story here, but I'm sorry. Um, when I was there back in, what, November, and it was all doom and gloom and Andrew Bailey was in his cups and we were all being told it was going to be terrible. And um, what, what was the forecast there? We were going to have something like uh, eight quarters or something ridiculous of, of recession effectively. And the, the Bank of England was giving perhaps the, the bleakest outlook. Yeah, eight consecutive quarters of economic decline were forecast. It was the bleakest forecast you could imagine. It was Dickensian in the degree of bleakness, quite frankly. And as you, as you look at where we are now, suddenly we're not having a recession. And you look back to the fan charts and the economic projections that, you know, I'm sure they spend ages poring over. I do wonder what the value has been over the last six months uh, from those statements. And one thing I will say, if you look at the underperformance of the FTSE, uh, uh, the 100, uh, which is international, the 250, which is uh, largely domestically focused, it's clear that we have lagged quite significantly against the CAC and against the Zetred. Now, you, you can make your own arguments about, oh, is it because the UK has a lot of financials, it has a lot of uh, um, uh, oil companies, energy companies in the 100 and so on and so forth. But even if you look at the 250, on a year-to-date view, the 250 is up 0.69%. 
on a year-to-date for the FTSE 100, 2.34%. The CAC has done nearly 12% in that time, and the DAX has done nearly 13% in that time. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't differences between these domestic indices, but surely it doesn't help when your central bank is basically telling everybody that it's going to be really rough. You might want to conserve your capital. You might want to not go out and spend. You might not want to borrow more money. You might want to pull in your horns. How is that helping consumer sentiment, consumer confidence, business confidence? And we consistently see surveys at the moment that show that UK companies are beginning to scale back capex and investment. Could this be part of the reason that if you've got a central bank that constantly goes around telling you the world, the ceiling is going to fall in, the ceiling is going to fall in. How can you feel good as a CFO about ticking the box on further expenditure at this point? You've made a multitude of great points, as ever. Well, I don't know about that, but just, well, just a sense that, of frustration, I yeah. think, that a lot of people have yeah. about being no, he- heading off in the wrong direction. So, the time. Um, they're not politicians, apparently. They are independent, apparently. And again, we can all have our questions about the degree of independence. I have enormous questions about independence. So, they're not here to paint a rosy picture, is one thing I would say. Just, just, just perhaps, you know, if, if there were to be a defence. Again, I'm not here to defend the Bank of England. Um, just on the point about the market performance, can I have that chart again, Jeff's chart, if, mm. if possible? Um, You've got to remember, yes, of course, uh, actually, I meant the, sorry, the, the other one, yeah, thank you, mm. thanks. Mm. Um, the, 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 you're absolutely right. On a, in a direct comparison, the FTSE versus the CAC and the DAX has underperformed. But actually, mm. if you look at it for our international audience in terms of the performance of UK assets in, in local currency terms, as opposed to in, in dollar terms. You're absolutely right, in local currency terms, it's uninformed. But if you mm. look at it in dollar terms, actually, mm. the FTSE's had, I mean, we, we talk a lot about the pound. The pound's mm. pretty much rallied 25% from its lows, mm. whereas the euro's only rallied 10% from its lows. So there is, in dollar terms, uh, a 15%, roughly, give mm. or take, outperformance from the lows for, I, mean, I talked about lows as being, say, let's say October, which I think is pretty much the, the low point when mm. we had that dreadful budget. Mm. Mm. Um, so in, in, in international terms, in dollar terms, you, you've actually had a more of a comparable performance. In term, you've also had a little bit more on the divvy as well. Uh, the FTSE divvy is just under 4%. The mm. CAC divvy, I did, again, I didn't know the CAC divvy. It's about 3.15. Mm. The DAX is about 3.3. So you, again, a little bit about... So there are a couple of other factors for our international audience which will negate some of that... Um, underperformance mm. for a local currency investor. Um, going back to your original points, I, I, I couldn't agree more that, about the messaging, but um, in that case, why, if things are so bad, why are they oh. still hiking when they are saying, it, as part of this as well, that they expect by the fourth quarter we're going to be down to pretty much half the levels of inflation. That's already happening, Mm. that we've seen the peak in supermarket prices. So I'm kind of back to backing you, having tried to make a really really mealy-mouthed defence of the Bank of England earlier on as well. But but the fact that they're not here to just give a gilded message like politicians. But but if the inflation is coming off so aggressively, as they believe it is, both on groceries and indeed on the headline as well, and we've seen, of course, Mm. on energy prices, which I pointed out at the wall earlier, Mm. why this hike? Why did they go again? I don't know. Um, uh, uh, you know, we will have to wait and watch and see, see what happens next here. But um, from the official data that we get on private sector wages, it's clear that they're not really 
going up in line with inflation. If anything, they stalled uh, back in um, November last year at about 7%. And from that point, they've effectively been going backwards. And again, I think that's in part because of the message that's being communicated by the bank. Now, Andrew Bailey may, may chalk that up as a win and say all our negative commentary is helping push wage demands down and it's adjusting expectations on inflation. And we all know that one of the key points about inflation is that it is largely about expectations, that consumers behave in a rational way if they think that prices are going higher. So I suppose he might turn around to the criticism and say, well, look, whatever you may think about the mismanagement of the message or the miscommunication of the message or the fact the message was wrong, it may have added to those deflationary pressures that maybe is encouraging people not to demand higher settlements. But mm. what do you want? Do you want a central bank that is all tricky and is trying to gain consumer confidence? Or do you want one that is telling it like it is? Um, and I think that, you know, there must be a lot of people that are wondering why Jay Powell's messaging is somewhat different to what we seem to be getting from Andrew Bailey at the That's moment. That's very good point. Because, because quite consistently, the bottom line tends to be from the Fed, never never, um, never fight against the American economy, it will always come back strong. Whereas the, 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 the message from the chief economist of the Bank of England, as we pointed out, is just like, by the way, you lot are a lot poorer than you were. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, which is pretty much what he it, said. It, it's going to be grim. You do realise you lot are a lot poorer. Hunker don't you? down. Uh, we we kind of got it, but thanks anyway, Hugh. <laughs> uh, for more on the Bank of England's rate hike and our interview with Governor Andrew Bailey, check out CNBC.com. Um, We have a um, terrific feature coming up on Thailand. Uh, Voters uh, in Thailand going to the polls. Also in Turkey this weekend, governments are under pressure in both countries. We'll bring you the latest on that story. Yeah, and uh, for more on the US debt ceiling stalemate, check out Squawk Box podcast. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Thailand is set to go to the polls on Sunday after almost a decade of military rule. Over 52 million people are eligible to vote for a new 500-seat House of Representatives. So I'm delighted to say Sri joins us from Bangkok with more. Good morning, my friend. Hello, Steve. Great to see you. Well, let, you, let me just give you a flavour of just how colourful uh, the dramatis personae in this election are. Uh, we have generals. We have uh, the uh, political dynasty of the Shinawats possibly making a comeback as well. And we have a Harvard graduate. So that really speaks to the fact that this is going to be a battle against the political establishment and the monarchy and the military and the patronage politics that go uh, with all that against uh, the progressives 
a pro-democracy camp and a movement and the youth vote as well. Remember, there are going to be three million first-time voters between the age of 18 and 22. And also, uh, there are 14% of this uh, vote is going to be uh, ties aged between 18 to 26. So capturing the youth vote is going to be absolutely critical. And as always, uh, it's the economy, it's bread and butter issues that are really going to dominate the agenda. And let's also not lose sight of the fact that the cost of living crisis here is still deeply palpable. The other issue here is that uh, there is high household debt. And although you are starting to see uh, the tourists uh, return in droves, whether they are from Vietnam, China, uh, Russia as well, it's a favourite destination amongst uh, the Russians, Thailand is, uh, it's still lags in terms of the post-pandemic recovery, it's ASEAN peers. However, incumbent Prime Minister Prayuth Chan-Ocha has been restructuring the economy through uh, the Thailand 4.0 programme. So we have seen inroads on the digital economy, on uh, the green economy, and also moving the supply chain out here, especially automotive, up the value chain. So that's all to the good. But earlier, uh, we caught up with um, the CEO, pardon me, the president of uh, Amcham, Mukbidumham, who told me that Thailand needs to do more in terms of moving the economy uh, beyond just tourism. This is what she had to tell me. Thailand is in a very good position in terms of economics, right? Uh, Thailand benchmark rate is very low, only 1.75% comparing to Vietnam, Indonesia of 6.5%. Um, Thailand financial system is very um, solid. Uh, the banks in Thailand, the capital ratio is like 19, 20%. So all the infrastructure are pretty much ready, right? But I, I think the, the new government has to come up with the, the policy in terms of uh, uh, pursuing the, all the economic growth because we cannot rely on tourism alone. Just two final points on uh, the economic plan uh, across the political spectrum. Handouts, freebies, call it what you want, subsidies, uh, they are going to be a big part of uh, the programme, as I said, uh, across the political uh, spectrum. A lot of economists are telling me that this is great short-termism, great uh, political populism uh, that may win votes. But in the longer term, this could come back to really bite Thailand in the form of uh, higher inflation, higher household debt as well, which is already uh, running amongst the highest uh, within uh, the region. The other big challenge here, uh, let's tie it back to the cost of living crisis, is that electricity prices are, are very, very high. They have been at record highs for uh, businesses and the consumer as well. Recently, uh, there was an effort made to impose a uniform price at uh, 4 baht 77 satang a unit. So that is down slightly for households uh, and uh, but sorry, pardon me, let me rephrase that. Down slightly for, for businesses, but up slightly for households. So that's really cold comfort for uh, the Thai public who are still really reeling from uh, a cost of living crisis. Many are blaming the war in Ukraine for high nat gas prices and the follow through. There's also domestic mismanagement in terms of the energy supply because of the uh, poor transition uh, from the concessions from uh, Chevron Texaco's uh, Chef Texas 
uh, concession out in the Gulf of Thailand to the PTT. So that's an issue that needs to be resolved as well. In the meantime, many are telling me that uh, we need to see a more liberal energy policy to encourage the use of more uh, renewables to uh, put the Thai economy in a better place. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.